Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. If you will, take your Bibles and go with me to Nehemiah chapter 11. Now this morning we're going to wrap up this book of Nehemiah. We're going to cover chapters 11, 12, and 13. Don't worry, we're not reading all of it. Um, there's a lot there. And, and, and the reason that, that we're not going to focus on all of it, because so much of it is a, is a, a log of names uh, of people who are involved in resettling Jerusalem, people who are involved in, in some, of the, uh, some of the setting up for the praise. And it's not that they're unimportant. Uh, it's just that uh, so much of our time would be spent reading out these names. And names that we know nothing else about other than that they were involved here in the Bible. And so rather, we're going we're to focus on three uh, kind of themes that each chapter has, one, one, in, one in each chapter. And so it's going to be a little bit different this morning. Rather than reading a large chunk of scripture, we're just going to kind of focus on a few verses at a time as we go along. Um, so the first thing that I want us to see as we begin to wrap up uh, Nehemiah is that in chapter 11, we see the people resettle Jerusalem. And we see this in verses 1 and 2. So if you will follow along with me, Nehemiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. It says, uh, Now the leaders of the people stayed in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots for one out of ten to come and live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the other nine-tenths remained in their towns. The people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. Now why is this important, that, that we're, we're told that they resettled Jerusalem? Well, think about what's just happened. They've just completed the walls of the city of Jerusalem. Remember when Nehemiah first gets uh, word back in chapter 1, it says the, the city is in ruins. Which means, of course, it's, it's open to attack. It's, it's, uh, but, but also, because this is the holy city of the Lord, when, where in the Old Testament, Jerusalem holds the temple, which is the physical presence, the, the symbol of the physical presence of God with his people. And this city is lying in ruins. So not only is it dangerous, a dangerous place to live, it's also a disgrace to Almighty God that, that His holy city has been destroyed. Now, here we are, and we saw a few weeks ago, they rebuilt the wall of the temple in 52 days, an amazing feat for us. To, to see that they, that they rebuilt this wall in 52 days. And now the time comes, and they've, they've rebuilt the wall, the city is as secure as it can be, and it's almost like they go out and they say, okay, who's coming to live in Jerusalem? No, come on, come on guys, we just, we rebuilt the wall. We got, now we need some folks to resettle in the city of the Lord. Who, who, who's volunteering? Nobody wants to come back. Or very few people want to come back. Apparently, a majority of the people were not excited about returning to Jerusalem. So what do they do? They, they set up a lottery. They cast lots for one-tenth of the people to come and settle in Jerusalem. And apparently, this was not a lottery. They were excited about winning. All right, so if you've seen the Hunger Games, like that's the, for some reason, that's the picture that I got in my head this week. It was like everybody out there, and, 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 and the lady up front, you know, draws out the name, and she's like, she's so excited. She's like, congratulations, you've been selected to go represent our, uh, our, our um, district in, in the bloodbath. And so I imagine, like, like these names being read out, and people kind of looking at everybody, and you, you kind of just see these guys going, oh, boy. <sighs> 
honey, we've won. <laughs> right? That's the picture that we're given here. And then he says um, that the people bless all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. So there were a few who, who said, yes, our family, we will settle in Jerusalem. And the people bless them. Why? Because they're vol volunteering for a task that nobody else wants. So, so think about this for a second. Do, do you ever look around to see the people who are doing the jobs that, that, that nobody really wants to do? Do you ever look around to see the, the people who are doing jobs that nobody really wants to do or the jobs that they're doing because nobody else will step up and do it? How do we respond to them? Um, Maybe you guys remember uh, about 10 years ago, one of our favorite shows to watch was Dirty Jobs. Anybody here ever watch Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe? All right. Um, the whole premise of the show is that he would follow these people. Uh, he would go do, document these people who do more disgusting jobs than probably most of us could imagine. Jobs, for instance, like roadkill cleaner, sewer inspector, mosquito control officer, or a maggot farmer. And the tagline, the way he always, the line he always used in the introduction of every show, he would say, uh, these are the people who do the kinds of jobs that make civilized life possible for the rest of us. And then he would launch into these folks who, who go to work every day knowing that basically their clothes are going to have to be chunked because, because they're going to get in the, the most disgusting stuff. Like sewer inspector, li listen, if that's me, I'm never wearing those clothes again, okay? Now, I would have been out like after about two hours. All right, nope, I'm done, done. See, there are often jobs to be done that nobody really wants to do, right? Yes, even in the kingdom of God, there are jobs that need to be done that nobody really wants to do. And yet, if they didn't get done, the work of God could be hampered. So, so, so for instance, we, we just talked about it this morning, right? Like, if, if a church isn't crying, it's dying. But you don't see people flocking to, to go change dirty diapers, right? That, that's usually not, that's not a big volunteer list. Yes, I will. Yes, sign me up all day long. You know, I would, but i got to preach every Sunday, so, you know, I'm sorry. Other, otherwise, <laughs> So what do we learn here? We, we see something about the way people respond, right? So they've, they've put, their, they put their hard work into this task of rebuilding the wall, of restoring God's city. Kind of like the manager of the guy who would, who would walk the tightrope over Niagara Falls. And, and the crowds would gather and he would say, aren't you amazed that he can walk the, the, this tightrope across Niagara Falls? Yes. Wouldn't it be incredible if somebody got, got in a wheelbarrow and let him push them across Niagara Falls? Yes, that would be amazing. All right, who's volunteering? Most incredible thing I've heard, though, is that the manager hopped in the wheelbarrow. He said, I so believe in my client. I've watched him do this. I believe he can push me across. When it comes to our faith, it seems like all too often we're, we're very willing to let other people hop in the wheelbarrow. And we'll stand on the sidelines in Ni at Niagara Falls and, yes, good job. It's amazing. You're ready to get in the wheelbarrow? Uh, well, you see, 
what it was was God works mightily, not through the smartest, not through the bravest, not through the most courageous. God works most through people who are willing to take a step of faith when no one else will. Who are willing to say, yes, I will go live in Jerusalem when no one else will. What this teaches us is is what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2. Verses 5 through 7, where he says, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, even though he was God himself, he did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Maybe yours says grasped, something to be exploited. But instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And aren't we glad he did? Aren't you glad Christ humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross in your place and in my place? So then in chapter 12, after they resettle um, Jerusalem and after the the one out of every ten that were selected uh, agree to settle in Jerusalem, what we see is that the people respond in praise. Uh, And we see this in chapter 12. Go with me in chapter 12 down to verses 27. Uh, We're going to start in verse 27. It says, At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sent for the Levites wherever they lived and brought them to Jerusalem to celebrate the joyous dedication with thanksgiving and singing uh, accompanied by cymbals, harps, and lyres. The singers gathered from the regions around Jerusalem from the settlements of the uh, I'm going I'm to butcher this, Netophathites, from Beth Gilgal, from the fields of Geba and Asmaveth, for they had built settlements for themselves around Jerusalem. So what you see is people coming who didn't live in Jerusalem are coming back to Jerusalem to praise God for what he's doing. And then uh, jump down with me to verse 43. It says here, On that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced because God had given them great joy. The women and children also celebrated And Jerusalem's rejoicing was heard far away. They come in and they celebrate what God has done. And so listen, the same is true for us. When we recognize God's grace in our lives, we should respond in praise. Now now again, keep this in mind, right? So keep in mind what just happened. God's people are resettling God's city. The, The city of David with Solomon's temple, a place that declared the glory of God to the nations around it. It had been destroyed, it had been in ruins, and it's been rebuilt. The people are gathering to celebrate what the Lord has done. And and in a lot of ways, they're celebrating the glory of the Lord returning to his city. So how often then Do you stop and look at your life and take stock of the blessings that God's given you? And then when you do, and and by the way, you should, that's that's one of the purposes of Sabbath, a concept that we've almost forgotten. One of the concepts of a day of rest and a day of worship is for us to relax, to kind of let the noise of life settle down 
And let us reflect on God's blessings in us and through us to see what he's done in our lives in the previous week. And then that, that that might lead us to a point of praise for what he's done and what he's doing. Busyness is the enemy of worship. Busyness is the enemy of worship. If you, if you don't believe me, just wait till your calendar gets full. And in too many cases, the, the, the thing that goes first is Sunday church, right? Oh man, we, we, just, we can't make it this week. Anyways, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, that being in here is the, the be all and end all of the Christian life. Not at all. But gathering with other believers to worship God for who he is and for what he's done is an important part of growing as a believer. And we live in a world that does not understand Sabbath. That doesn't understand what it means to rest. So how often then do you stop and take stock of the blessings that God has given us? Now, now listen, when we're talking about the children of Israel, they give us a lot of examples about what not to do, right? In fact, like uh, at some point in next year, uh, I'm going to preach through some of the characters in Genesis. And, and, it's, and, and what you're going to hear through that story as we go through the characters is don't be like this guy. Here's, here's, here, okay, so, so he followed God in this. And God commended him for him. And in that we can follow him. But don't do this. Don't be like him. So, so much of the Old Testament is us telling uh, us using the children of Israel as a cautionary tale. But here they teach us something important. That when they recognized God had done something great in their lives, they stopped and they praised him for it. So, so look, while, while I mean, we, we put a day on the calendar to give thanks to God, right? It's literally called Thanksgiving, or otherwise known as the Cowboys will lose today, okay? I'm, <laughs> now, I say that as a Cowboys fan. Don't get mad and walk out, all right? I'm, I, 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 say, I can say that. Kind of making fun of Texans. I can make fun of Texans because I is one, all right? We can do it. So listen, while, while we should do that at Thanksgiving, and, and come November you'll see folks posting like 30 days of thankfulness. I, I'm on board with that. That's good. But here's the thing. You don't have to wait until November to start being thankful for the stuff that God's given you. Okay? Now listen, all right, fried turkey causes like a worship in me to break out and, and praise to God, okay? Fried turkey and pumpkin pie, like, like that is heaven, all right? That's, that's going to be what's at the feast table in the, at the kingdom banquet, okay? But you don't have to wait for that to give thanks to God. And so, hey, here, here's something wild. Why don't we do this? Let's just stop and take a few minutes to take stock of God's blessings in our lives and to thank him for them. That's wild. Let's interrupt a sermon and pray. Holy cow. So, so let's just take a couple of minutes. Reflect on what God's done in your life. And then thank him for it. And then I'll come, I'll close this in prayer. We still have one more point to wrap up. But let's just take, let's take a beat. Let's pause. Thank God for who he is and for what he's done. Spend a few moments in prayer.
Father, we thank you for the blessings that you've given to us. Thank you for the blessing of another day to live in your grace. Thank you for the blessing of having your word written down for us. Thank you for the the blessing of the freedom to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ and and, and worship your name and and hear your word proclaimed without fear that someone's going to bust in the door and haul us off to prison or, or shoot us where we stand. Thank you for the blessings of good friends and family. And even the simple things like coffee and donuts in the morning. God, may we never take little things for granted, but may we see them as shadows of your mercy and grace in our lives. Father, will you stop us frequently with gentle reminders of of how good you are to us? That, that, That we would be people who are quick to give thanks to you and slow to take credit for the things that happen in our lives. We thank you for your goodness. And most of all, we thank you for the grace that was shown to us in Christ Jesus, taking our sacrifice on the cross, taking our penalty, that that we had no hope of paying so that we could be brought back into relationship with you. I pray we would never get over it. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so right now, it looks like the children of Israel are doing pretty good, right? I mean, so, so they resettle, and even though there's some grumbling about that, uh, you know, no, nobody really seemed to be anxious to, to jump into the city of Jerusalem. Eventually, they do resettle it. And then they respond in praise. And so it looks like things are going well. But then we get to chapter 13. And, and unlike most stories that we would say um, in happily ever after, that's not quite the picture we're given in the book of Nehemiah. Because what we see in chapter 13 is that the people relapse. And so if you will, uh, we're going to read several places here in chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 1 and read down a little bit. At at that time, the book of Moses was read publicly to the people. The command was found written in it that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God because they did not meet the Israelites with food and water. Instead, they hired Balaam against them to curse them. But our God turned the curse into a blessing. When they heard the law, they separated all those of mixed descent from Israel. So so this was a command given in the Old Testament. Because the the Ammonites and the Moabites did not welcome the children of God, they were not allowed into the the temple. And yet, God's people have short memories, so they they had overlooked that, or they just kind of let it slide. And then verse 4, Now before this, the priest Eliashib had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of God. Look at this. He was a relative of Tobiah. 
Remember Tobiah, our, our old friend here who was, who was part of ridiculing uh, Nehemiah? And at one point, they, he came and looked at the wall that they were building. And he said, hey, even if, a, even if a fox jumped on that, it would crumble. What you're doing is worthless. And he, he, he set out and laid out these vicious attacks against uh, against Nehemiah. So, so here's, here's kind of what's going on here. Um, imagine uh, the children of Abraham Lincoln inviting John Wilkes Booth's cousin to come set up house in the White House. You see what ha- what's happening there? Well, like, are, are, are you kidding me? So, so there's, um, the, the, they're, they're not obeying what God has commanded them to do. And they had prepared a large room for him where they had previously stored the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles of the tenth of grain, new wine and fresh oil prescribed for the Levites, singers, gatekeepers, along with the contributions for the priests. Now jump down to verse 15. At that time I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath. So again, God had commanded they keep a Sabbath, a day of rest, don't do any work on it. And Nehemiah says, I observe people working on the Sabbath in, in a violation of what God has said. They were also bringing in stores of grain, loading them on donkeys, along with wine, grapes, and figs. All kinds of goods were being brought to Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. So I warned them against selling food on that day. The Tyrians living there were importing fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem. And then jump down with me to 23, and we're going to read from 23 to the end of the chapter. In those days I also saw Jews who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, or the language uh, of one of the peoples, but could not speak Hebrew. I rebuked them. This is a great verse. I rebuked them, cursed them, beat some of their men, and pulled out their hair. Church discipline practice, folks. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. I forced them to take, we'll we'll talk about this in a second. I forced them to take an oath before God and said, you must not give your daughters in marriage to their sons or take their daughters as wives for your sons or or yourselves. Didn't King Solomon of Israel sin in matters like this? There was not a king like him among many nations. He was loved by his God and God made him king over all Israel. Yet foreign women drew, drew him into sin. Why then should we hear about you doing all this terrible evil and acting unfaithfully against our God by marrying foreign women? Even one of the sons of Jehoiada, son of the high priest Eliashib, had become a son-in-law to Sanballat the Horonite. Again, Sanballat was, was uh, buddies with Tobiah, the, the guys who've attacked Nehemiah this whole time. So I drove him away from me. Remember them, my God, for defiling the priesthood as well as the covenant of the priesthood of the Levites. So I purified them from everything foreign and assigned specific duties to each of the priests and Levites. I also arranged for the donation of wood at the appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, my God, with favor. Now, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at chapter 10, where, where the people, uh, they, they've, so in chapter 8, they read the, the word of the Lord. In chapter 9, they repented. They, they repented for, for sins that they had committed. And then in chapter 10, they commit themselves to the Lord. They lay out a, a pretty extensive list of commitments that they're making to the Lord. And here we are in chapter 13 and they break every one of those commitments that they made to the Lord. So, so what do we see here? And what does this look like in our own, our own day? Because uh, we, we don't really harp on marrying foreign women anymore, right? Like that's, so, so what do we do with this? What we see here is they've broken commandments that God had given to them. 
They broke commitments they had made to the Lord. So chapter 11, they resettle Jerusalem. Chapter 12, they take a break and they praise God. In chapter 13, they fall away. What we see here is that repentance and revival are never one-time things in our lives. Repentance and revival must be things that are recurring in our lives. The person who grows in their relationship with Christ will never be marked by perfection. If that's your goal, you are going to be sorely disappointed time and time and time again. The goal is never perfection. The pattern that marks the great men and women of the faith in Christ Jesus is a pattern of repentance. Because here's a funny thing about sin. Okay, let, let, let me let you in on a little secret. Number one, you will never not struggle with sin. And here's the, here's the funny thing about the way sin works in our lives. About the time that we think we have it kicked in one area, it has a tendency to rear its ugly head in another area in our lives. You will never kick the sin habit in this life. So what do we do with it? We render it powerless by continually repenting. Not asking for forgiveness. And let me explain the difference. So, so listen, I, I hope I've made this clear. And, and I tell the ladies on Thursday night all the time, like as a disclaimer, I'm as Baptist as the day is long. Okay, I, I was I shared with you last week. I was Baptist before I was a believer. Okay, so we, we believe in this idea called perseverance of the saints, more commonly called uh, once saved, always saved. Once Christ brought you from death to life, there's no going back. So you don't have to ask for forgiveness of sins because on the cross, Christ Jesus paid for all your sins, past, present, and future. When you come as a, when you come to faith as a believer in Christ, He wipes the slate clean for you forever. And aren't you glad? Man, listen, I, I cannot imagine going through life having to think I, I've got to constantly ask for forgiveness for all the stuff I've done because I'm going to miss something if that's the case. Instead, what do we do? We don't ask for forgiveness. We repent and we turn around knowing that it's already been forgiven. But there's great danger for the believer who says, I don't need to repent. Maybe this isn't the way God wants me to live, but you know what? Right now, I really don't care. I, 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 don't, I never feel qualified. It's well above my pay grade to make judgments about someone's salvation, except that Jesus has told us you will know them by their fruit. And for someone who claims to be a follower of Christ but says, I don't care what he says, this is what I'm doing, you're treading on very, very shaky ground. Believers, let's be people who are marked by repentance and constantly examining where we are. And if I'm not where God wants me to be, I turn around and get back in line with him. Now, now listen, I'm not going to advocate that we respond quite the way Nehemiah does. All right. When, when we see people stepping outside the, the will of God, that we beat them and pull out their hair. Don't, don't do that. Okay. Don't do that. 
And, and in fact, to, to be fair, let me explain here what's, what's happening. Um, the idea here is probably not that Nehemiah just loses his mind and goes nuts and starts like beating guys in the middle of the street. That's, that's not really the idea that's going on. Probably what happens is these are some formal punishments that were already laid out where they were formally uh, beaten and their hair pulled out. Again, listen, I'm not advocating for that. Because what we see in the book of Ezra right before Nehemiah is that when Ezra saw the people rebelling against God, he was so moved and so enraged that he pulled his own hair out. It broke his heart to the point that he, he pulled his own hair out. Nehemiah pulls other people's hair out. I'm, I'm not saying that either, either one of those are the correct response, but listen, it, it should cause a reaction in us when we see people who claim to be followers of Christ who have no regard for what God has said. And so I want to lovingly call us and remind us we never graduate from repentance. We are all still susceptible into relapsing into sins. We are not nearly as strong as we think we are. So therefore, let us constantly be in the word with soft hearts of confession, soft hearts of repentance, and turning back to God. I'll close with this verse out of Hebrews chapter 3. Writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. So as we wrap up this morning, I'm, I'm going to simply lead us as we move into our time of, uh, of response. Sarah's going to come up. She's going to lead us in a, in a song. I want you to just take stock. We, we, we took stock earlier and we, we praised God for what he's doing. I want you to take stock in your life and see what areas do I need to repent of? Where are some areas in my life where I know I've not been walking in line with what God has said? How, how do we need to repent and respond to him this morning? As always, like, like I've said before, maybe, maybe this is the morning that you say, this is, I know for sure this is the church or as I've said before, this is the group of sinners that I want to, that I want to be involved with. Uh, this is the group of messed up folks that I want to join my life with and, and pursue Christ and his plans together. If that's you, I'd love to visit and tell you what that looks like. As we begin to sing here in just a moment, uh, move as the Holy Spirit is leading you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. As we wrap up and, and transition and move into our invitation time, as in as we leave this room and move into our small groups, I pray that I pray that you would call us to yourselves. Maybe some of us for the first time, maybe some in this room have never turned away from their sins and, and asked Christ Jesus to be Lord and Savior. Claim that forgiveness of sins. And if so, I pray today is the day of salvation for them. For the rest of us, I pray we would take stock of our lives and there's some areas where we're not in line with, with what you've said and with what you're calling us to do, this morning will be a time of repentance and turning back. Will you move in these next few moments? We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. 
If you'd like to contact us, please use the contact us form at www.fbcalamo.com to get in touch with us and let us know how we can pray for you or serve you. If you have a question for Pastor Kyle, you can contact him by email at kyle at fbcalamo.com. Thank you for listening. God bless you and have a good week.